Welcome to episode number 57 of Peak Curiosity. My name is Abigail Carlson. I have wanted to do an episode about Taylor Swift since the beginning of this podcast, and this week my dreams are made reality. Nate Morgan Locke from episode 42 joins me to talk about why Taylor is such a good songwriter, using examples from her favorite songs, and how her writing reflects the postmodern slash millennial attitude of our Western culture at large. Even if you aren't a Taylor Swift fan, if you think culture is important, I think this episode is worth listening to. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode half as much as I enjoyed recording it. So, I mean, right off the bat, my first question is, why are you, Nate Morgan Locke, the reformed mythologist, I'm assuming 40s man oh, with wow. a wife and children. Actually, late 30s. But late 30s. I don't mind. That's fine. Um, why are you a Taylor Swift fan? Because she's so amazing. That's why. She's just so talented. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that I know of anyone else who's recording and releasing and selling popular music at the moment who's doing it in such a perpetually successful way i mean yeah she just see she's just she is a a sort of once in a generation talent i think um you know you can compare her to other artists at the time but i think there's something about her which is really kind of captured a generation's ideas and and feelings and frustrations and hopes and dreams and yeah so she's just a very 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 talented woman (laughs) that's that's why well Um, i would say i have to agree completely 100 percent. when did you first become a fan like at what album did you um, realize there's something going on here well i suppose i mean the first couple of albums sort of passed me by I mean, I was aware of her, but I hadn't really sat down and listened to anything. And then it was probably 22 was when I just suddenly thought, oh, okay, that kind of teen pop star has just gone. You know, she's really, that's, you know, she's got some talent. Um, And I think that was largely because the group of kids that I was ministering to at the time had changed. So that was probably made the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to say, so I was like 12 or something when Love Story came out and the music video came out. And I remember my sister watching it and she really liked the music video. And I was such a tomboy at the time. I was trying to pretend I didn't love it. I was going to be way (laughs) too cool. And it was like, oh, that she's just silly in that frilly little dress. How stupid is that? And I just kind of pretended to be too cool for school until Red came out and I bought it, put it on my iPod and went for a run. And I was like, what has just happened? This is the best album that might ever be made. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I was wrong. I would say the best album that's ever been made is now Folklore. 
Wow. So Taylor Swift is holding positions one and two mm -hmm. on the greatest albums ever made. Wow. Yep. That's quite impressive. Mm -hmm. I thing is, I, I, I'm not sure that I could ever say that it was the best album ever made. But I think, yeah, I mean, it was it was the, the album for the moment. And it was an album which, yeah, just just took it on another level. Because was that the potentially that was the first reinvention of Taylor Swift, I think, from Speak Now to Red. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, she and started then, course, experimenting a little bit. Yeah, it all got. That's when the um, the critical mass was really hit in terms of her public persona. Mm hmm. Um, and what she's always yeah. managed to do, I don't quite know how she's done it, but. Maybe it is purely the talent, but I think there's something ineffable about it. Ooh, big word. Um, mm -hmm. How she's managed to change genres so many times, but she doesn't lose the fans. How, you know, there's yeah. people who like pop who also like the other music, and there's people who like country who also like this stuff. And I assume it's because she's just a good songwriter, and though the mm. backing track has changed, the content has stayed yeah. pretty much the same. I mean, absolutely. I think that you could you can see that every song on folklore and ever evermore um, is a Taylor Swift song, as would be the case with well, Lover. I we can talk about this later on, but I I I wasn't interested in Lover really at all, and mm -hmm. then. But then prior to that, Reputation was, you know, everyone on there. I mean, and that was a new bunch of genres and she was experimenting. But there are certain things that she can't stop singing about, right? She mm -hmm. is obsessed with hair, clothing, and rain. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And people wearing clothing in rain mm -hmm. whilst having um heart-rending conversation yeah and there's usually so, lots of 2 a.m mornings I, I think she's up way too often at 2 a.m well yeah yeah like she i probably said probably starts a lot of things at midnight yeah it's what it sounds like yeah <clears throat> maybe i should try that maybe i would come out a brilliant songwriter if i started things at 2 a.m well if she was writing songs at 2 a.m. when she first started out. I think there's a child abuse issue there. She really should have been in bed by then. Yes. And once she's older, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, sort of, yeah, in, in terms of general things about Taylor Swift, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Insanely talented, and she just keeps reinventing herself and, as you say, taking her fans with her. Um. And still being, I mean, relevant such a strange word, but still producing things which are interesting. Yeah. And yeah. So the plan for today was mm. for both of us to pick a couple songs that we wanted to talk about that we yeah. really like from Taylor Swift. Um, okay. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat and make you go first, mostly because I just think you're much better at this kind of thing. So I want you to break the ice. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, that. yeah, the first, I'm going to do mine in, um, in chronological order. So the first one, 
what we should maybe do is you should we should tell people to stop the podcast after we've mentioned the song and then they listen to the song and then they restart the podcast and then they because I'm presuming you haven't paid to play the songs in the final edit. The I podcast. have definitely not done that. Um, <laughs> okay. Yes, we will do that. And I will probably make like a quick Spotify playlist and leave it in the show notes. So it'll be a really quick go and grab them all in one place. Nice. Okay. So the, my first one is probably um, You Belong With Me. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, what's that on? Is it Fearless? It is. So one of the things that I I've done in the past is a, is a is a series of talks using different playing cards. I used to do this as like a youth retreat. So I'd use different playing cards and I'd ask people if they could pick one of these playing cards to describe themselves, which one would it be? And so I'd have like the um, the Queen of Hearts was one of them, and that was the person who was a kind of really concerned about relationships and that's all they cared about and then there was the king of diamonds and that was about money and then um the ace of spades was about like rebellion and independence and stuff so it was this kind of very simple like pick a card this is a persona kind of or an archetype that's behind this card hmm. and so anytime i would do the queen of hearts i would say to illustrate what i mean by the queen of hearts let's think about taylor swift <laughs> and so i would then use particularly the video for uh you belong with me because it's this classic angst kind of love story teenage drama you know played out and she's got her big glasses and she lives <laughs> next door to the guy she's got a crush on and she's holding up this sign you know like mm -hmm. how are you doing and then, of course, at the end, you know, she bursts in and, oh, wow, she took her glasses off. And she, <laughs> like, it's pure, pure Disney yeah. kind of romance. Um, and I just think it's her economy of words with her lyrics is so brilliant that that she communicates all the things we need to know as the audience about the story. Mm -hmm. She's a consummate storyteller. and 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 I think... That's what is driving her writing most of the time in terms of a songwriter. She writes songs, not other things, but You Belong With Me and the way that, you know, um, she wears short skirts, I wear T-shirts, she's dear captain and I'm on the bleachers or whatever it is. It's like she's so economical with painting this picture of these two. Um, you know, you've got a smile that could light up this whole town. Yeah. Like, how do you come up with a lyric like that? I mean, maybe that wasn't one of hers, but um, it's brilliant. So, You Belong With Me. It's kind of, do you know Teenage Dirtbag by um, Wheatus? I do Wheatus? not. Um, that is like the, the boy equivalent. Okay. It's like almost exactly the same scenario, but this kind of Teenage Dirtbag kid who fancies this girl... And he wants to take her to an Iron Maiden concert. So people can check that out as well. I mean, that's like the, they're a pair, you know? Mm, okay. Um, like Black Swan and The Wrestler, Darren Aronofsky movies. You could put these two together and double bill, <laughs> <laughs> playing them at the same time. Um, yeah, just a lot of fun. And so it just captures that whole 
why are you going out with this person who's terrible when you really belong with me? So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's my first choice. Okay. Um, what is your favorite lyric from this song? Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, the one I mentioned, you've got a smile that could light up this whole town. I haven't seen it in a while since she brought you down. I mean, that's... Very good. Yeah. So I, maybe that maybe that one. I'm trying to now race through the rest of the lyrics in my head. Yeah. It's yeah, probably probably that. It's the idea that she knows this guy and she appreciates him for what he is. Yeah. What, what's the other one? Sitting on a bench thinking to myself, isn't this easy? Um <laughs> Yeah, just that idea that you've got someone you can chat to and it's comfortable and relaxed. And not only have you convinced yourself because this is an issue we can get into later on sorry i'm kind of running down this hill very quickly <laughs> okay. but the idea of of narrators and unreliable narrators that's because we're in a kind of postmodern time so the narrator and their ability to accurately portray the situation especially when they're desperately in love with someone um are they gonna accurately portray what's going on um and are they going to misrepresent the person that they're kind of going against um yeah but but you know it, it fits in that whole kind of yeah uh unrequited love um mm -hmm. which you could put olivia rodrigo's driver's license in the same category as well you know yeah i um, think there's a new just genre of music that is taylor swift and driver's license <laughs> she's not she's a genre of music yeah it's a genre yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think olivia olivia rodrigo mm. just fits right yeah. snugly into it yeah. yeah yeah i mean literally that's all i know about olivia rodrigo so it's literally <laughs> that one song yeah um, yeah yeah i remember yeah. when her album came out i heard like three or four right off the bat on first listens three or four taylor swift songwriting things and i was like okay this is the young generation okay. that grew up with this and they yeah. might be doing these things not even necessarily knowing it that they're yeah. copying yeah yeah i mean and, and this is a question did she you know did she start something new or did she take something that had been done before and then um i mean there have been love songs about you know i mean jolene by by oh yeah dolly parton is a very similar one or um i mean those are a bit more sort of tragic i suppose you belong with me is optimistic and you know she wins in the end but um uh what's the there's an abba one um oh i don't want to talk if it makes you feel bad oh winner takes it all mm. so, like a whole list of songs that you could just have for a love triangle and someone being kind of overlooked person in that yeah. yeah she did a good job because you know she's in high school technically probably her main demographic is high schoolers and she's just somehow able to take the time that she's in and just bottle it up so neatly yeah. and perfectly that it feels like she has been spying on me and then writing about my life and it's mm. been like that through every album because even though she's way older than me we have tended to go through similar life stages at relatively the same time period i think one thing with her though is that 
It's almost as though she's been allowed this extended adolescence. Mm -hmm. Because she started out so young and she was writing, you know, because when you're 15 and someone tells you they love you. So she wrote about being a 15-year-old at yeah. the point of being 15, right? Then she moves to, she's singing about being 22, which is one of my other picks. But then later on in folklore, there's a song, oh, which one is it? Um, is it Betty? About like high school one. again? Yeah, where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, Inez, you can't believe a word she says. And it's all about high school. So you think, in some ways, because she's remained in this extended period of adolescence, probably by virtue of not already being married with children, it's as though she's, she's actually still able to write songs about being a teenager, which would feel kind of weird maybe if if she was you know i don't know if I'm trying to think who like if madonna yeah was writing a song about being a teenager that would look weird <laughs> that would <be> kind <laughs> of strange and maybe even beyonce right because she's sort of known as as someone who's got kids and yeah um yeah i don't know i i mean that's that's part of who Taylor Swift has been and is. All right, I guess it's my turn, eh? It is. I want to hear what have you got. What's okay. your first pick? So, uh, first of all, as I was going through this, it became glaringly clear that my favorite albums are folklore and evermore because as i was oh. going through which songs do i want to pick out there was one from red and all of my other like six or seven options were from evermore folklore so huh yeah um but my first pick is the last great american dynasty mm. ah. i was gonna pick that one but that's okay because we i can I can slide to another one from my B list. Okay. But go. Yes. Okay. I want to hear why. Why did you pick it? Well, first of all, I had to listen to it a few times before the song even made sense because I must have zoned out at the very end or something. But it's this history of this lady that you're like, what in the world is going on? She's named Rebecca. She's a divorced but married a rich guy. Her neighbors yeah. are super mad about her. They don't like... She's just yeah. bringing a bunch of chaos into the town. Um, the husband dies and everyone blames her because she just partied too much and was crazy. And you're just like, what is this random song? Super strange. And the music is fun. And then in the bridge, it all culminates in that this is the history of Taylor Swift's house. Mm -hmm. And she's uh, paralleling. She's drawing a parallel between yeah. Rebecca's reputation of being the partier, being the crazy one, and how yeah. that has been her reputation and how she wonders if her current neighbors in that house say the same things about her. So in all, it is just yeah. a phenomenal history. And yeah. I mean, I can't think of anyone who's written a song about their house and it's been engaging. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I, then that's why I was going to pick it. Be and partly, part of the reason I was going to pick it was because 
obviously folklore, which if you time this right, you can you can put this podcast out at on the anniversary of folklore's surprise release. So obviously no one knew she was going to bring out this new album. And then she brings out an album after everyone's been in lockdown. And you're thinking, oh, what's this going to be about? Is it going to be about, oh, Zoom calls and <laughs> yeah. um, wearing a mask and feeling like you're kind of trapped and online, virtual life or something. But no, she made a whole album about things which had nothing to do with a global pandemic and the you know race relations and everything that had been in the news for the last six months. She she made an album about kind of much slower burning issues, like and but they relate because because what did everyone do during twenty twenty or the middle part of twenty twenty? They stayed inside their house. And she wrote a song about a house and the community around it. So people got to know their neighbors in a fresh way during you know the the lockdowns. People got to know the community. You were observing your neighbors much more in a way that maybe hadn't been done for 50 years or so. It was just this sense that place was was really important. The history of a place, the the experience of living in a place. And so when she yeah, wrote uh, The Last Great American Dynasty, <laughs> um, she was tapping into that. And, as you say, at the same time, tapping into all this um, stuff about reputation and her experience. Um, so, yeah, I just think it was a masterstroke of creativity to say, I'm going to write a song about my house. Yeah. Another fun fact about this song is I had to look up a word in the dictionary she used the word gauche, which gauche. I'd never heard before in my life. And uh, so that was a fun thing to, to be learning new words in quote unquote pop music. Yeah. 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 The wedding was charming, but a little gauche. Is that the line? Yeah. Good word. Yeah. All right. I don't know if I have more to say about this song. I just thoroughly appreciated the creativity it took to uh, come up with this concept and execute it so well. I mean, what is it, a maybe maximum four-minute song? And she packs in so much. Yeah. Bill was the heir to the standard or name and money. I mean, you just think... And she rhymes that with, it was was sunny. (laughs) But it's a history. It's a. I mean, Rebecca Harkness was known. I mean, you know, she's only not known by us because we only know... (laughs) like the last 10 minutes of what's been <laughs> happening in our lives. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a big deal. Mm. I better skim and see what my favorite lyric is. Oh, yeah. You've hmm. got to... I think since I brought up that I didn't know the word gauche, I better pick the line. It says, <laughs> the wedding was charming if a little gauche. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. The, what, the other thing that's funny with that is that because Taylor Swift had that period when... She was dating, possibly dating Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. You remember that? And so there was a, like a July the 4th party that she had at that house. Yeah. Which was, 
and she references it in i forget the song but feeling so gatsby for that whole year this is why we can't have nice things right yep yep and so that period of her life where she you know she's doing the the crazy things she's having these massive parties yep um, bringing in new know. guys all the time just like rebecca and uh what's the line from the filled the pool with champagne and swam with the big names mm-hmm. um and i mean there's just that funny thing she's st- and in a few with the neighbor she stole his dog and died at key lime green i mean it's just like <laughs> did she really die at key lime green or she just died green and then taylor swift decided to say let's emphasize the key lime green yeah emphasize let's, slash let's i show. need a couple more syllables to make this bridge work <laughs> So it, it's it's a yeah a testament to to very impressive songwriting yeah yeah. Okay, so. My second choice is 22. And that is because Taylor Swift is postmodern. And I think in this song, she gives uh, a very good gist of what postmodernism is all about. Um, because the lyrics include things like, um, we're happy, free, confused, and lonely in the best way. <laughs> Which you think okay that's in terms of summing up a group of people um i think that song is it does it very well it's miserable and magical oh yeah yep and just this idea that given this nature of the world given this kind of miserable magical kind of experience we'll just keep dancing like we're 22 that's the 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 right solution to this issue of confusion meaninglessness um you know the abyss yawning in your face is just to keep dancing like we're 22 so i think that's where i think she summed up not just a group of people but she she seemed to put a pin in the postmodern worldview i think pretty well that is fascinating and it makes sense and i feel kind of dumb for not noticing that before <laughs> i don't think you need to <laughs> but yeah, yeah yeah i mean i always just thought you know when you're 22 you don't know what in the world you're gonna do with your life and you feel like i have all this potential but what do i do but i still have energy because i'm relatively young and yep. I have, I still have friends because I have, we haven't had that drop off of friends that happens when you hit adulthood. And it's like, well, I guess we'll just party till we figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's, that's an experience of being a 22 year old. So I actually got married at, towards the end of being 22. I mean, how were you married at 22? I was married at 20. Okay. So. And obviously Taylor Swift wasn't, and most people in the Western world aren't. Mm-hmm. And so that lack of responsibility or commitment that you've made, where 
I suppose for a lot of people in the US and in, in the UK, at the age of 22, you've been in full-time education for a very long time. And you've just come out of it, potentially into your first job, and but you're such a you know entry-level employee that no one's really giving you loads of stuff to do. Relationally, you're still free and single as a general rule. Um, and there aren't normally, or certainly for a lot of people, there aren't a lot of people depending on you. You have all this freedom and you really don't know what to do with it. And so you just sort of just keep dancing like we're 22, you know? Um, to be 22 for many Americans and many, you know, Western Europeans in the 21st century is to live a life free from responsibility, free from um, people relying on you to do things. It is party time. And so it's a celebration of youth. But as I say, because it's postmodern, it's got this kind of meaninglessness to it. And so there's almost a sadness to the song. With, you know, it'd be very, very easy <laughs> to take those lyrics, play them in a minor key, and mm. just be like, oh my goodness, this sounds like the worst <laughs> time. Oh no, we don't yeah. want to be 22. Um, uh, a little bit like that. What's that Lady Gaga song where she's just dance, where everyone's gone away and she's been drinking too much and so she's just like, all I know how to do is just keep dancing to the music. And you're like, oh, this is really troubling. <laughs> like that, you know, everything is kind of going to pot around you and you're just dancing yeah. through it. And you think, yeah, there's a time. There is a time to dance. It's usually when you're celebrating something, <laughs> not when you just can't literally think of any other way of getting through the day. So, um, yeah, the the the, the it's postmodernism. Um, it's nihilistic, but it's positive. You know, it's this yeah. everything. Yeah. Nothing matters, but so what? Um, I've got some friends around me, and this might all be gone tomorrow. So I'll just enjoy it whilst I can. But because it's focused on youth, it's got that romantic feeling, you know, was was a joy to be alive and to be a youth was 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 it, right? To be young. Um and in a culture which celebrates youth because it's you know, footloose and fancy free, that's the song you want, right? That's that's what you hold on to. Um So there was a period of time where I would give <laughs> I was asked to talk about reaching millennials by various pastors. And so I would say, you need to listen to 22 by Taylor Swift. And you need to listen to Stressed Out by 21 Pilots. Yeah. If you get both those songs in your head, you will understand the kind of apathy and whatever of the, the kind of millennial generation. I mean... Is that I don't know. I don't know what Gen Gen Z are like, really. I mean, it remains to be seen. I think, but um, they're a bit more conservative. Yeah. Or, well, not conservative, but just small C kind of sensible. They're a bunch of very kind of and safety first kind of people. Safety in all areas of life. You know. Um, anyway, 
that's not Taylor Swift. That's not 22. 22 is about millennial kind of postmodern celebration because it's Tuesday, right? And that's the kind of the the vibe of the song. So do you have a favorite line from this one? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say it's that um, what I mentioned. Um, I mean, I do like, like the little aside. Someone sort of says, oh, who's Taylor Swift anyway? Mm-hmm. Which is quite a nice little um, self-reference. Yeah. I would go for it. We're happy, very confused and lonely in the best way. I think that's the best. You're up next. I am up next. Let's see. My second choice is going to be Cowboy Like Me. Interesting. I don't know that one that well. Oh, yeah? Um, So I'm going to need you to talk me through it, and then I can ask questions to you to really draw out the value. So um, she has the most – it's like a funny – first line i don't know if she's trying to be funny or what the thing is but she she starts with and the tennis court was covered up with some tent like thing and as we've talked she's good with words she's good with economy of words and then she just says tent like thing but i mean i don't even know what that thing is called so it works and it sets the scene just perfect so it's it feels like if you're in a movie and you just zoom in from the at least yeah. in my mind, you zoom in from the top through the roof of this tent-like thing onto a wedding venue that's set on top of a tennis court. It immediately puts you where you're at and the kind of people you're with. So okay, I think that's very interesting how just in the first line, I immediately know what's going on. Um, also, the first verse is in the past tense. Yeah. Past tense, but then she moves into present tense after or into the second verse. Um, So she's at this wedding. She gets asked to dance. And she says, I thought that this was a a bad idea, but jump to the present. But now I know I'm never going to love again. So I like the tense jumping that she does. And then the, the first chorus, at least I think it's a chorus. That's another interesting thing about this song, is it's so not in a structured sense, what a song is. It's not verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. It is okay. a yep. jumbled mess of orders. And I really like that it's a mess because it adds a lot of mystery and stuff. But what I am going to call the chorus is I've got some tricks up my sleeve. It takes one to know yeah. one. You're a cowboy like me. And at this point in the song, that couldn't make less sense. And I think yeah. it takes a lot of nerve to write into 30 seconds into the song, just say things that don't make sense. And you're trusting that the person's going to stick with the song till the end when things come together. Um, so you move in and you get all the way through to the bridge where, act, where there the story comes into focus, where these are two con artists. They found the mm. other at a wedding and they are giving up their 
playing ways and there's a whole history of you have the women that have their stories about when you pass through town and I have the long list of men who really thought that I was into them but I super wasn't I just wanted a car <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. uh it's such a good just interesting storyline and also it's interesting that she instead of saying a con artist it's a cowboy which is I don't really know if she's saying anything bad about cowboys but it's just an yeah. interesting thing that she's doing yeah um musically i would say what is interesting is that in the bridge she changes keys from c to g which is quite jarring in the song it does not feel okay. smooth whatsoever yeah yeah and there's not even one rhyme in this song <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, musically, I know nothing. I don't know a single thing about music. And so I can tell that a key was changed, but I wouldn't know what mm -hmm. key was the original and, and what it changed to. But I think lyrically, interesting, you brought the tenses and her kind of her chutzpah. Do you know that <laughs> word chutzpah? No, I don't. Oh, I think it's. Where does it come from? It's pro it sounds like it must be a Jewish word or something. Chutzpah. It's like basically um, you have the the gall or the uh, ah. the nerve. You've got the 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 boldness to leave people hanging and waiting to find out what this song's about. And I think from a poetic standpoint, Taylor Swift's ability to write songs from a range of perspectives. And to, tr well, not trust the audience, but to give the audience the responsibility for working that out. I'm not going to, you know, obviously the earlier songs that we talked about, you know, from Fearless or, or she's, she's giving you more clues. She's explaining the story more directly. It's a more linear approach. Whereas she's able to jump around various different positions which I always appreciated. There was one on 1989, which I, we, we have to pick a song from that because that's probably, I think, her best album. But um, the girl, the How You Get the Girl. You oh, yeah. That one? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the way that she tells a story about a, a woman speaking to a man, or sorry, or, or a, a girl speaking to a boy about how he ought to win a girl over you think that's a pretty complex setup for a song that it it sits in this particular kind of context but she's gifted enough as a as a writer to be able to set those things in the frame around the song itself mm -hmm. so this one I'm, I'm gonna i'm now gonna listen avidly to cowboy like me uh, for the next two days and okay find out what is all about i think it's just so interesting how um i actually picked another song gold rush where it's similar in how she's playing with what you think a song ought to sound like because okay what you in the sequence of how the song goes what you think is verse two doesn't match the melody of verse one so you're kind of confused yeah, yeah but then a maybe a chorus comes back around and it's all the way till the very 
end of the song where she brings out the first verse melody again. So it yeah. feels like there's three or four melodic structures and you know honestly a lot of artists will find one or two melodies that they like and stick with it for the whole song so she has yeah. like a an immense ocean of melodies to pick from and i don't know how she can come up with that but i really like how she's playing with your expectations for what you think ought to come next and i I wonder how much, because I don't know exactly what a songwriting process is like. And I imagine it's one that's never the same mm -hmm. for each album. It's probably wildly different depending on the producers you're working with or the fellow songwriters you're working with. But there's something, there's something about being in a creative place or a creative situation which other people are pushing you to try new things and to... to to shift things around, to tackle things from different directions. And one of the testaments, I think, to her success is her ability to go with that, to be perpetually creative, mm -hmm. um, not to just be stuck in a certain rot and, or certain musical type and stay there, and, but to, to try, try things out. So, yeah, the, the music on folklore is this one on folklore this one's on evermore evermore um yeah i mean which are kind of their sister albums aren't they mm -hmm. but um they feel like she's been working with people who like have liked to strip things back to really lift up the songwriting you haven't got big choruses you've not got these driving rhythms and and hooks to kind of you know, get people on the dance floor. These are these are slower, more contemplative songs. It it is storytelling. It's she's she she's being a folklorist in this, yeah. this period of her career. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I what was your favorite lyric? My what, favorite what lyric. Lyric. It is so silly, but it kind of makes me smile every time because it comes out of nowhere it's now you hang from my lips like the gardens of babylon it's, it's so strange <laughs> but it's such a interesting picture because like the myth of the gardens of babylon were like yeah. the king just wanted to please his queen and he built her this beautiful garden and it was just all in honor of her well yeah that's a good one yeah um but yeah, the two the two hucksters, the tricksters, finding each other, and giving up their you know their knavish past is quite yeah. cool. I think that's pretty cool. I'll say I'm going to stick with my third song is going to be How You Get the Girl, which I mentioned before. But the reason why I think this one for me stands out is because 1989 was covered in totality by Ryan uh, Adams. You remember he recorded oh, yeah. his own version? 
And one of the things I've thought about cover versions is that if someone is able to bring out something from your song in a cover, which is very different stylistically, I think that is testament to the quality of your songwriting. Even if, like, maybe your version isn't as good as, as what they do with it. I don't think there are any versions of, of the, that Ryan Adams improves upon, but he was able to bring out things in the songs that I couldn't see or couldn't hear, sorry, in the original versions, which made me appreciate her songwriting more. Yeah. It's a little bit like there are, you know, there are places that you know well or you might know well under certain lighting conditions, but if you saw them at sunset, like it would just open out the beauty of it even more. And I think that's what may, probably made me appreciate Taylor Swift as a songwriter was having this whole album, you know, covered because it was worth covering again. It was worth taking these lyrics and these songs and I mean, maybe changing some of the chords and timings are very different, but the rhythms are different, but he's bringing out things from these songs, which means that she's laid a table, which is mixing the metaphors wildly now, but she's laid a table in which many can feast, right? That That's the kind of hmm. ability she's got as a songwriter. So, um, I don't think I'd um, I'd appreciated that song from the album 1989 because there are so many other highlights from it of uh, until I heard Brian Adams' version of it hmm. and I thought, oh, that's what this song is about. This is this is what's going on here. So it is a really good song, and I have to say I did not like ryan adams cover album except okay. for how you get the girl that was oh. the one standout that i thought he actually nailed this one um so yeah i i think i mean he's you know as an artist got all sorts of issues but <laughs> i think that um well as a person but doesn't taylor swift don't we all um in various ways the the challenge with with picking a song from that album is that for me it feels like such a complete unit yeah that i'm slicing it up feels very difficult i like style off the album as well that's probably the one i pick we enjoyed listening to that one a lot when my kids were very little and um i would often change the lyrics to be about different subjects which is quite a fun thing yeah. so, <laughs> i think welcome to new york I got, was changed to now you can eat pork and it was basically about a Jewish person becoming a Christian and it was you know it was all about bacon sandwiches and oh and my goodness <laughs> it was terrible I mean the kind of thing that a dad can make his children laugh in the car sure you know but it's not going to translate especially well to a wider audience but yeah it was quite well, funny that is fun parody yeah do you have a favorite lyric from How You Get the Girl? Um, it's probably, um, yeah. I mean, literally, first line, stand there like a ghost shaking in the rain. She'll open up the door and say, are you insane? Like, Taylor Swift is so 
romantic and so obsessed with that romance that the thing a guy must do is to sort of sacrifice his dignity and and his comfort in order to declare his love like that's how you get the girl that you know what is what does she want more than anything else she wants to be overwhelmed with this this utterly hollywood disney you know sweeping love story she wants to be swept up into um yeah and that is what i i think is is has been an interesting theological perspective on her as a character character as it on her as a public figure is as the the woman looking for love in all the wrong places and so i written i wrote something a few years back on her very short article on her as as the woman at the well from john four do you remember when jesus meets the samaritan woman and and mm -hmm. she's she's going to the the well at midday because she's embarrassed to be seen by the other people and the other women because she's had multiple husbands and so has got this reputation for being a kind of um i don't know serial or I know adulteress or or just a woman of ill repute or she's got all this baggage and and um she'd just been looking for water in the wrong places and so jesus when he speaks to her says you know um will you draw some water from the well for me and she's sort of taken aback because he's jewish and she's samaritan and that's all sorts of issues and then she's a woman on her own and he's a man and that's issues as well but then he says i'll give you water that you'll drink and never thirst like there is a there is a love that i can give you as god as god come in human history that will satisfy you deeply and forever and so i think that's where um i've always kind of linked Taylor Swift. If I if I was ever able to have a conversation with her, I would take her to John Four and say, "Look, um, I know you've got Joe Alwyn, this great, you know, William Bowery kind of, you know, you've got this this loving this guy who's great, and you seem to be very happy with him. But there's something even better than a successful relationship with another human, and that's that's the relationship you were." born for which is your relationship with god so mm -hmm. that turned a bit sermonic there but i that that's kind of where i've been with taylor yeah dear taylor yep i completely agree i have thought many times like if i met her i would just say it's okay if you just quit making music because on one hand she loves the music but she seems also in a way like there's just so much pressure in the lifestyle that she's in I'm like it would actually be okay if you just left and you started yeah. building a life but that i think what you said would be a better message to give her then just <laughs> just go to the I lakes think, yeah yeah i mean that's that so 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 much of her stuff has kind of got this biographical nature to it and so much of it is about her reputation as a woman in this situation. But I think, yeah, as you say, she's 
She doesn't need to feel the pressure to produce those things. And I'm not sure that she does. I think I, I think the fact that she brought out those two surprise albums at the, at last year shows that she just can't help write songs. Right. She's yeah. been given this gift and this ability and this work ethic and she's disciplined, determined and conscientious and she's just going to put things out and the challenge is that every time you do that you put yourself up for acceptance or ridicule or criticism or, or whatever it is and obviously that is a that affects her she you know so the old taylor can't come to the phone right now i mean that <laughs> you know, talk about you you could become locked into the the drama of your own perception your, the, how you're perceived by others you you could you can be be compelled by that it will drive you mad if you are and you need to be freed from it and that and that's i think what she needs mm -hmm. um not knowing her personally at all but obviously having listened to her music a lot so Um, I suppose I'll finish up with my last pick, which is okay. Gold Rush. And um, this is the polar opposite of the last song I picked, where that yep. one had zero rhymes, and this song is extremely rhymy. So yep. uh, it's the setting of she saw someone, I imagine her just sitting at a coffee shop and catching someone out of the corner of her eye. And immediately yeah. going into a daydream of what could the life be with that person. Yeah. And uh, and this is another one where she's playing with what you think a song is. Because there's two sections. It feels like a chorus and a verse. But there's kind of like a key change thing again. So it's weird yeah. and a little bit like unstable and you don't know what's happening. Which is probably on purpose because in a daydream with a fake person you kind of... I mean, who knows what would happen, but yeah. the chorus, she rhymes rush, flush, touch, brush, blush, crush, and then back to rush to finish out the chorus. Uh, yeah. But my favorite line, I'll just skip straight to my favorite line is, yeah, yeah. Uh, where is it? I wrote it down. Is I don't like slow motion double vision in a rose blush. Which is essentially, I don't always like looking back at things with rose-colored glasses because it's get it yeah. gets me in trouble. And yeah. but what an interesting way to say it—the double vision in a rose blush—and I think this happens over and over. But those kinds of lines feel like something another artist might build an entire song around. But for her, mm. it's just like a throwaway line because she just can yeah. constantly produce so many good lines. Yeah. Yeah, that is good. And is she, like we were talking about earlier with the, her, the framing of any storytelling and whether it's, it's working in pure linear chronology or whether she's jumping around a time frame or... But then, as you say, the economy of, of words is such that she can reference 
a flashback or a, <laughs> a, a projected potential future flashback to the present. Right. To the, you know, to some indeterminate moment in between those two. And you think, yeah, you, that is a, that is a very, very impressive thing to do in such a short number of words. Mm hmm. You started to talk earlier about like consistent narration or something like that. Do you want to jump into that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like a, it's a feature of, of more kind of postmodern literature that you, you have a narrator who is unreliable. So what we used to, or, or prior to the kind of postmodern period, you're used to trusting everything the narrator says as being true. Right, because they have usually omniscience, they can see everything that's going on. Whereas once you have a subjective narrator, someone who's t just telling the story from their point of view, you've then got all the the potential for someone to write their own personal preferences into the story, and to downplay various parts of it or to overemphasize certain parts of it. Um, so from a kind of literary analysis point of view, it's a big deal as to whether you have a reliable narrator. And the challenge is whether the author is trying to put in that or not. Audiences are primed to it and so may question the version of events they're being told about a story they've never heard. So I noticed it with my... I was listening... When I listened to Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license i thought what if what if she's made this whole thing up like and she's just projected this entire romance onto this guy who's maybe happily married to this blonde girl mm -hmm. um who always makes her feel inferior but like he wrote a song but it was never about her it was you know it was about someone else and of course he said jokingly yeah it'd be great when you pass your driving test because you can come and you know it'd be great to come and you can visit us right um so it was really weird. and it felt the worst thing was that i felt not only had i kind of lapsed into a kind of reader response theory of of literature i was also being quite unkind and uncharitable towards dear olivia rodrigo <laughs> i can't think of a particular example where taylor swift would would do it but i think it was when we yeah it was when we were talking about you belong with me just the potential to misrepresent your adversary in a love triangle so um yeah that's why i was bringing it up but these are the things which are fun right this is a you know not just listening to the songs but diving into them and seeing how they relate to all the other literature that people put out and all that sort of stuff Man, I'm really glad that I found someone who likes to talk about this stuff because I can tell you I drive my husband nuts. He is over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can. I imagine it's the kind of thing that works well in um, in occasionally finding someone. If you met, if you ever met a couple who were only ever talking about the insights they had into Taylor Swift lyrics, they would be the most awful couple <laughs> you'd be like oh my goodness these people are terrible <laughs> they'd be very i think they'd be very bad at socializing so it's good to do it every now and again
but nice to do a deep dive when you can. Yeah, that's fair. But what a really, really good time. I have really enjoyed the two chats we've had. And if you have something you want to chat about that won't quite fit onto popcorn parenting or something, message me. Let me know. I really enjoy these conversations. Well, they're good. And I, yeah, it's great hearing you think through your own questions and, and stuff. And, and particularly on this, you know, getting, being able to share your insights into her songs and, and that sort of stuff. But I think, I think you need to go back and listen to 1989 again. I think there's more gold that hasn't yet been mined out of that for you. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll put it on yeah. my listening list tomorrow. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again, and go get a good night's sleep. I will. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, you too. Bye.